Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. This is your host, Dave Lewis. And today on the program, we're going to talk about marketing analytics, a topic that all of us, if you're not already, should become experts at. And let's face it, there's still in most marketing organizations a lot of room for improvement, a lot of room for growth because A, it's it's hard. We're going to talk about why that is. Uh, but B, it is so important. So between A and B, there is a ginormous gap. And I have someone that you guys are in a real treat for, Mary Burmell. Mary is the Vice President of Global Marketing Operations and Analytics at LogMeIn. We'll talk a little bit about uh, her role there. And she's going to share um, her passion and her recipes for success on the analytics area. And I think like most of us, there's always a room for improvement. But since so many of you struggle with it, Mary was nice enough to say, hey, let's make that the topic for today. So Mary, welcome. How are you? Thank you, David. I'm so pleased to be here. I appreciate the chance to get to talk to your uh, your audience. Absolutely. First question I'm going to ask you, because uh, you know, in these days, we all could be anywhere. Where are you? Where are we connecting from? Where's, you- where's home for you? You are at my house in Littleton, Massachusetts, about 35 miles northwest of Boston. Nice, nice. Very, very nice. And uh, I love the Boston area. I've not been there uh, in a very long time. Last time uh, that I was there, it felt like it was the coldest day on the planet. I've never been so cold when it was. I was downtown and I decided to walk two blocks because it looked like they're really co- close destination from the hotel, the Marriott, to where I was going. But I, it took me like 20 minutes to thaw out. Does that ever happen to you? Or are you a lot smarter than me and, and get better better dressed and prepared for the winters? Well, I do think that when you're downtown Boston and that wind is whipping up the up the river and off the ocean, it is it is it can be super cold. That's for sure. Well, your background, for those that don't know, you've been at Compact, which is a brand that we don't hear about too much no. uh, these days. But uh, then at Hewlett Packard, Yahoo. Uh, computer uh, Associates, uh, one of the first billion dollar or the first billion dollar software company. Uh, and now at LogMeIn, where you've been there almost two years. Over time, Mary, looking back, uh, when did you catch the bug for analytics and, and really get your, your, your arms around showing marketing's contribution to the business and measuring what's working and, wh- and what's not? Where did that kind of start for you? I, th- I guess I'd have to say it started at, at uh, Compaq because at Compaq, I was responsible for integrated marketing, and we were really starting to spend a lot of time and money on digital ads on the internet. And at the time, it was incredibly hard to get the data back. There was a lot of manual work to understand what was the effect of that spend, what results did you get. In fact, you know, those were in the early days, you didn't even have ad serving to give your reports back. So, it became important as we spent more and more money online to understand what we were getting back for that spend. And it it caused me to think, boy, we have to get beyond the execution and the tracking to actually be able to analyze information about the spend that we were making. The interesting thing about marketing spend is it doesn't matter what size you are. It's critical. So if you're a small marketing department and you're not spending a lot of money, because you don't have a big budget, you really got to make sure that you know what is working and what's not. And if you're a big company like Computer Associates and some of the other places you've been and where you are, and you're spending 
hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, you really want to know what's what's working and what doesn't work because you'd be wasting a lot of money and, and rechanneling it. We're running a program on LinkedIn right now, and we're doing it for our Marketo admin service. So we've, we've told the world that, hey, if you are shorthanded or no-handed and you want support for Marketo, uh, we've got a service for that. And it's been doing quite well. And what's really nice is that as marketing comes to our biweekly sales and marketing meetings, they can say, this is how much money we spend and this is the revenue and pipeline that we've generated from it. It's all down to a science these days. And what's cool is, you know, as a CEO, I've, I've said to our head of marketing, like, can you spend more? Can you like increase the number of ads and how do we get more impressions and, and more click-throughs? So but, like, because the ROI is so high, it's just how do we reach more people, which is a different challenge altogether. Where um, you, you said something to me when we chatted a week or so ago and you were saying like a message to everybody on the podcast, you guys need to get measurement in place. And I wanted to kind of start there with the end in mind, like why is it so important besides the obvious? But I'd love for you to share your perspective on that. Uh, so I think as marketing has a seat at the table and is part of the strategy discussions and gets a decent budget, the expectation by the leadership or by your owners, if you're a public company, is to make sure that that money is spent to best effect. And I think in the current environment we're in with the pandemic, it's become even more important because everybody's spending time online. The media is starting to get congested. Um, dollars are precious because companies are challenged about how they're going to grow. So now more than ever, it is super important to me that marketers be able to prove the value and the efficacy of the spend that they are making. The experience that I had and consistently over time is how much marketers struggle with this. And so maybe we can start with the hard part. And for me, sometimes what I notice is the hard part is there's never really been a framework or a set of KPIs or just an industry standard dashboard. Like if I go to our financials, so I walk down and go to our financial team, our financial manager, uh, management controller, CFO, any of them. And I say, hey, listen, can I get an update on our financials for 2020? I, they literally can go to a menu, click it, print it, or send it to me. And I have all our financials there because the software that they used is designed to produce the kind of reports that are needed for financial reporting, our revenues, our profits, our gross margins, our expenses, our, our EBIT, everything is at their fingertips. Marketing doesn't have any of that out of the box, zero, no matter what marketing system you get. Even if you get a marketing analytics platform, you still got to connect and string everything together. And then, you know, some of those systems have so many different reports or custom reports. So what's been your approach? How do you, um, how do you do the magic that you do? Well, I, I completely agree with you. There is no, there is no magic answer. And in fact, as a result, I think marketing gets looked at as a black box. Like we don't know how it actually works. We don't know what the results are that you get. So I could tell you from our experience at Log Me In, when we started down this journey, we said to the marketing teams, what are the 10 most important KPIs you think we should measure? And when you talk to 30 marketers, you get 30 answers. Then if you take it beyond like those top level metrics, let's say things like number of prospects, trials, MQLs, pipeline sourced, pipeline through influence. And then you take it down a level to the channels and say, what are the most important metrics for, say, paid search? Depending on the team you're talking to, they'll come up with another whole set. So when we started this exercise of just starting with what's the top 10, and when mm -hmm. we asked 30 people, we had 50. 
and we had to narrow it down to 10. Then when we started looking at the channel level, search, display, out of home, radio, webinars, you name it, we had over 250 different metrics people came up with. And we had to say, can we align on five per channel? And in order for those to be the five per channel, whether it was the top level or not, we, we set a couple of practices in place. We said, they should link to the strategy of the company. We should be able to measure them. We should be able to consider them key indicators of the performance of the, the channel or in market broader sense marketing. They should be actionable. We should know what we're going to do to either tweak them or change them. And ideally, they should be leading practices, meaning we should be able to find other companies like us or advice from advisory services that would say, yep, that's a good thing to measure. So that's how we started. It was, as you said, there was no definite playbook that here's what you take and measure for marketing. Did you, when you established those KPIs, did you work with the CFO, CEO, or any other senior leadership outside of marketing to, to establish what those benchmarks are? What we did is we worked with our corporate strategy and our CFO teams to define what are the company's top KPIs, because mm -hmm. it was important to us, if you think of it as sort of a ladder, you've got the channel level KPIs that are sort of how the sausage is made and what marketing is going to tweak itself. Mm -hmm. Then there's the marketing KPIs that say, do the programs and campaigns that we've defined actually work? Are they achieving the marketing goals overall. And then the most important level to your question is what are those corporate KPIs, the company-wide KPIs, things like um, revenue, bookings, CAC LTV, net expansion rate, renewals, those things we wanted to make sure that we ladder up to those company-wide KPIs. Nice. Can you share what some of the your 10 are, any of them? Well, the, in the marketing ones, they would be things like, and by the way, five of them overlap with the corporate ones. They would be things like number of prospects, trials where you have a product that has trials, marketing qualified leads, marketing generated pipe, marketing, uh, marketing influenced pipe. And then it would be other metrics that lined up with the corporate ones, such as um, average deal size, CAC LTV, net expansion rate, renewals. So we wanted to make sure that these things were not separate and isolated, but they tied together to the company goals. I'm sure a few people just hit replay on that last 15, 30 seconds to get some of those. Um, it, it's really interesting because I got a CMO dashboard the other day. This was a, a dashboard that was produced by a marketing operations department. And when you looked at all the slides, first of all, it was probably like 15 different slides. And I'd love to know like how you've condensed it down because in my book, Manufacturing Demand, which I'll put for all of you guys a link to, and I think it's chapter eight. Um, where I talk about analytics, go ahead and read the whole book, but definitely delve into chapter eight, because I list some of the things that Mary mentioned as important KPIs. But I talk about um, like the four C's. In fact, in the book, I talk about the three C's of marketing reporting, and I've added a fourth over a year. And the fourth is how you communicate it, how do you present it, how you explain what those measurements are. And thinking of this dashboard that I looked at with these 15 slides, there's so much information, Mary, that you really don't know what matters. And, and the presentation of that information is done in such a way that there are not those insights, which is one of the things that you really um, talked about making things actionable. So how did you approach your dashboards? How you, did, you, did you wireframe something or how did you create something to say, here's how I'm going to display this to the other members of the leadership team uh, and then um, 
take that concept and, and operationalize it. So before we even get to dashboards, what we found was we had to get landed as a company across all the different functions on what our measurement framework was. We had to start with, what is it? what does marketing effectiveness mean? Because to your point about finance guys, if I'm a finance guy, I think of marketing effectiveness as efficiency. How much can I get from the money I spend? But mm -hmm. if I'm a marketer, I've got goals and those goals may be to acquire a customer or to expand their share of wallet or to get them to adopt and use a product or to get them to renew before the contract is up. So there are different goals. And to us, it was important to say, do we agree that marketing effectiveness is to be able to, to meaningfully address the short-term and long-term goals along the continuum of the customer lifecycle, whether they're in the customer buying part of the lifecycle or the user part of the lifecycle. So the very first thing we did before we even started talking about KPIs, let alone the dashboard, was let's agree on the concept of what marketing effectiveness is. Then number two, let's put a framework in place that says we are going to measure across that continuum of the customer lifecycle. And then we defined what those stages of the lifecycle were. Mm -hmm. and, and then we layered in, okay, now if you're at the beginning and I'm trying to build awareness with someone, I want them to recognize they have a need. What do I measure there is very, very different than what I measure when someone is a very active, engaged customer. I want them to renew. So it was important to us that it was something that not just marketing understood and agreed to, but our sales colleagues, our care support and customer success colleagues agreed to so that over time, as this grows, different parts of the company can glom onto the same approach. And we all agree that our measurement framework is based on a customer lifecycle. When you say framework, describe that a little bit more in terms of how you're using that term for what you guys are doing. So um, we're using that the, the framework of the customer lifecycle to determine what metrics we track at each stage. So if you think of it visually, across the top, you might have a customer lifecycle. And then down the left side, you might have a swim lanes of all of the channels. Mm -hmm. So depending on your channel, let's take paid search. The job of paid search is very different at the beginning where you're trying to build awareness from later on when you're using it to have a customer renew or something. So mm -hmm. ac across that journey, we mapped out what KPIs matter for a given channel across that journey. And we would expect our colleagues in other parts of the business to also do the same for the channels they use, whether that's webinars or, or other kinds of engagement with prospects and customers. When you apply that to sales, which is a really, you know, I, I'm not talking about install base, but if you look at sales in terms of net new, um, let's do that reverse engineering together. So one of the metrics might be is how much is in pipeline, the total yeah. amount of dollars that are actually in pipeline. And you could stop there and say, okay, if I just know how much is pipeline, but can you? Because how many deals does that represent, right? If that right. represents three deals, you're actually pipeline is pretty vulnerable, right? Because yeah. you've got only a few eggs in that basket. So another metric might be how many deals are in the pipeline. Because you mentioned one of the metrics that you use is prospects and how many prospects there are. So I like the approach of like looking at the customer journey and saying along this, what are some of the key metrics that we're going to use to take a look at kind of volume, velocity. So you got it down to 10 and you worked a little bit cross-functional to get some of the core, the most important KPIs of the organization. Was that a one meeting process, two meeting process, days, weeks, months? How long did that if you can unpack that a little bit. T to your point about the third, the fourth C is communication. 
I would say that's communication and collaboration. The amount of work it takes to get alignment on that is astounding. So it wasn't sort of well, one meeting, we'll propose it, and now you guys look at it and agree and we're done. It, it was multiple meetings of based on a different business unit, what do they consider important to them? And then do we even have the same definition when we say we want to measure a given KPI? So it was multiple meetings to get everyone aligned, but without that framework of we agree it's about the customer journey. We agree we're going to have one holistic common framework. We're not going to have different ones. Um, we would not have gotten anywhere. So it was, it, I, I don't think you can underestimate the amount of work it takes to get alignment just on a vision and then an approach before you delve into getting at the metrics themselves. So let's say you're talking to one of your your colleagues, um, your, one of your peers in another company. Does he or she go in to their new role or after listening to this podcast? Actually, let me ask the front part of that. Do they go into a new role with a preset of KPIs and carry that forward inside, uh, carry that forward uh, within their career? Or does this process have to happen? And you do you think every time you go to a new environment to establish that collaborative, collaboratively as a team? I think I, I think you can show what you have done before and say, this is what has worked where we were here under these circumstances with this set of products and this side of market conditions with this kind of market environment. But um, I, I ultimately think that you need to figure it out for yourselves because there is no guidebook and all, most situations are different. There are some things where I would hope that, for example, if we decided the top five KPIs for a given, let's say, paid advertising were something like impression share, share of voice, cost per click, cost uh, conversion rates, as an example, if we decided those were four, mm -hmm. could you start with that and say, do I agree or not agree? Yes, you could start there. And it might be helpful to some other company to have somebody else have already done it. But in general, you need people to buy in on both what the metrics are and what the definition of them is, how we're going to capture it, where the data is sourced, how we're going to pull it, what things we're going to be able to link and not link, whether we're going to do attribution on last touch versus first touch or you, something like that. So there's a lot to it. And I think you have to go in with the, the most important thing to me was you have to get buy in and it has to be a collaborative process or you won't make any traction. 100%. I, uh, I'm kind of a little jealous of finance in some ways. <laughs> Again, I've never, I've never led finance to say if I, if I really am jealous, but I feel like because like the U S security and exchange commission, um, I don't know, I don't know exactly when it was, but they adopted gap GAP generally accepted accounting principles. Mm -hmm. And then this, you know, what it is, is it's an accounting standard that's been adopted by them and a publicly held companies of the, the, you know, the standards uh, that are reported uh, around a company's information to bring clarity and consistency and comparability, right? How could you compare one company to another if every public company had their own way of measuring and tracking things? So that standard uh, came to be, and yet we in marketing don't have anything like that, right? We have to kind of start with that blank canvas, uh, what seems like at every company, although I like how you're saying, you know, carry some things forward. Here's what I've done in the past so that you don't start there. Because again, if, if, if nobody has an idea of what to do and you start, it could go in any single direction. So having a starting point and a framework um, would make it, make it easier. Which number or KPI are you most attached to yourself in terms of thinking of, of performance? Like I would say, like, if it was a car, 
you might think of it as speed, like how fast is the car going? Someone else might say engine heat. I don't know. But like to me, if you're looking at a dashboard of a car and you have one data point that's really critical, someone might say fuel level. Someone might say, I, I was thinking speed. What do you think in terms of your experience in this that are just those critical KPIs that you're really attached to? I think marketing generated pipeline is super important because it, I think the, the goal has to tie back to the business objective. And the business objective is usually about bookings and revenue. And the way marketing contributes to that is they bring people in the door, they engage with them, those people qualify, self-qualify, become qualified through sales engagement, and then ultimately they become pipeline. So to me, that's kind of the business outcome that matters most. Um, in an e-commerce environment, it wouldn't be so much pipeline as um, purchase deals, mm-hmm. direct buys or, or trials could be the leading indicator for that. But I think that's what marketing has to hold itself accountable to. Did I deliver the opportunities, whether those are e-com ones or sales-led ones that actually help the business move forward? What can you share with people around attribution? And I'll I'll tell a little story, right? Because it's always, a, it, it's an interesting topic. So recently we got an RFP and most of the times when demand gen gets an RFP, we actually um, meet to decide if we're going to respond to it because RFPs are a very different way to get business source than through direct outreach or inbound, right? You're one of, you, you've been asked to bid on a piece of business and you don't even know where you stand at that point because it blindly comes in. Well, this RFP came in to an email address, um, the request. And that email address is actually owned, I'm putting it a little bit of air quotes, um, owned by marketing, meaning that the only way you'd ever get that email address is if you came to our site or certain pieces of content. So there was a discussion around whether that is a Mm. marketing attributed deal, just to give an example. And I'm wondering, like when you do an event, it's pretty clear if the event is being put on by marketing and you're generating leads from those events, I'm using the term loosely, and they you know, make their way into pipeline that you could say it came from that event, so a marketing contribution. What are your thoughts and perspectives on this? How important, I mean, if, you, if that is your most critical measurement or the one that you've really attached to, then you have to make sure that you can quantify and associate to what is coming from marketing. And I'm curious in your perspective uh, for those people who like it, they kind of fight over it between sales and channels and alliances. So I think it's really important to distinguish between marketing contribution and attribution. Mm -hmm. So what I think is important is to understand what is marketing's contribution to the business, which for us would be pipeline or direct buys on e-commerce. Attribution to me is understanding of the marketing activities that you do, how much does each one of those contribute to that end goal, whether that's MQLs or Pipe or what have you. Mm -hmm. And I think people bandy those two terms, attribution and contribution around, they think they're the same thing. I think they're a little bit different. The attribution piece of it to me is understanding in an environment where people don't just buy things on one touch, they buy things through multiple stimuli over time, through multiple touches in an engagement. It's understanding what are those activities that contributed to somebody going to the website and choosing to buy and then choosing to renew. And how do I understand all of those touches and what touch contributed um, to it? That's attribution to me. And it's multi-channel. 
and it's nirvana and it's, you know, it's where we all want to be, but it's hard, right? Because the data is never perfect. And if you do it on last touch, you might make some decisions that would say, oh my gosh, paid search is wonderful. It's the gateway drug to all purchases, kill everything else. When the reality is paid paid search might be the last touch because somebody saw display ads or read some content or what have you before that. So I I think there's a lot more work to be done to help people understand um, how to think about attribution and to actually come up with models that help us do attribution in a way that makes perfect sense. Even threading channels together, you know, think about it, uh, web-wide media, the website, what happens in Marketo, what gets reported in your CRM, connecting all those pieces together is not an easy thing to do. And then you layer in, well, what's the model we're going to put on the attribution? First touch, last touch, U model, W model, whatever. We, I mentioned the, the four C's and you're talking about um, attribution, contribution. Uh, the other three C's for everybody listening, although I encourage you to download the book and go to the chapter, is um, what counts? Can you count on it? like from an integrity consistency perspective and how do you calculate things? So when, when Mary was just talking about attribution, there's many different ways to count attribution. So going back to my analogy of an automobile, right? There's a sensor in the gas tank that says, this is your fuel level because it knows and is measuring the amount of fluid uh, inside the system. And however that sensor works, speed is probably looking at the rotation of the axle tires, that type of stuff, right? There's a science to it. It's very, very precise. It's very consistent. I think we all would feel like if our gas gauge wasn't, you know, Mm -hmm. like high integrity and we couldn't really, oh, are we really at a quarter of a tank or am I going to make it? Like, it's got to be very uh, high integrity. Same thing, marketing, if you're going to count on it, but I wanted to, you know, have you weigh in around the data challenge and, and the data that is needed to be collected in order to get to that end state. Um, and, and and some of your thoughts and recommendations around the data challenge. I think the data challenge is probably the biggest challenge you have in getting to that view of true end-to-end multi-channel attribution. And what we learned in our journey was, wow, we've got lots of data at a very specific channel level for from a very specific source. But connecting that source to be able to understand not just what came in, but how it flowed through our systems and eventually became pipeline and became an opportunity and became a closed one deal is really hard. Mm-hmm. So we uh, that that got us into a couple of other activities. One of them was we have got to consolidate our tool set so that when we're measuring, let's just take search and display as two of the top of funnel things that we spend a fair bit of money on, we are getting at least consistent reporting from a single source. So consolidating that onto our onto one tool in the stack was super important. Likewise, consolidating your tag management and your web analytics, super important. Now at least you can thread your web-wide media to your website data. And then from there, you can you know, get it into a data lake, transform it and be able to pull it out and, and be able to create dashboards from it. But the synchronization of all of that data is probably the biggest lift of all. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm I am in awe of people who, 
do data engineering work internally to make sure that, you know, fields and cells and tables line up and they make sense and they've got the right time period and they're capturing the right information across to be able to tell a story is, I don't think, I don't think you can underestimate that. It is yeoman's work to do that kind of work. Yeah. We have a whole department at DemandGen that that's specifically the work that they do for clients is helping them identify the data uh, areas, stitch it all together, find the gaps, come up with some of the calculation models and do it. Because like I said, it's a big challenge. And and we have people who listen to DemandGen Radio, I'm sure of every size company. Can you share some insights in terms of how you are either structured or staffed from a marketing operations or analytics perspective. You know, is this, yeah, I'm, I'm sure people are wondering, like, is there one superhuman over there that does all this or a team? And what are some of those roles and responsibilities given your experience? Yeah, on the analytics side, up until probably three months ago, we had a team that did web analytics that was in a separate function, a team that did the marketing analytics in a separate function, and we brought them together. Because what we realized is we're struggling. We've got the marketing team pulling web data, I'm uh, sorry, media data from web wide properties and working through agencies, but then stitching that with the website data was not a clean process and approach. So in order to make the, the data work, the structure needs to be together. So in my opinion, if you want to get end to end metrics and analytics, you need to be able to think about structuring the team in the same way that you want to collect the data. Mm-hmm. Have you, have you got the, the media feeding into the web team, feeding into the group that's actually going to take that through Marketo and through your internal systems to be able to, to tell the story altogether. You mentioned Marketo just now. What are some of the tools that you consider in the tool belt of this team for doing analytics and, and reporting? Any any that you think are, you know, not, not to say we're endorsing any particular brands, but I'm sure people are curious what to use to do this effectively. Tableau is the presentation layer. Uh, we use, you know, so our data science team will use R and some other proprietary tools to do their piece. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, our agencies will give us files that basically we're basically trying to figure out how to build tables in a data lake that pull all these sources together into a view that we can actually extract and put into Tableau. And one of the challenges of having all these various tools is they all have a reporting element to it, right? Salesforce has reporting capabilities. Marketo has reporting capabilities or whatever your marketing automation system is for them at Pardot, HubSpot, Eloqua, you name it. They all have reporting capabilities. Your social media tools have it, your paid search tools, um, uh, display advertising stuff, right? You, you have all these different places. And that's why you said like by working from the end state of like what are the KPIs that we want to measure? And then stitching backwards to say, where's the data going to come from to measure that in which system? And I was mentioning this, the department within DemandGen that works with our clients, they will create what they call a data dictionary, which is a, a fancy term for a spreadsheet that's really useful that says, this is the data point. This is where it comes from. Yeah. This is what the definition and why it matters. So they, they build that structure so that we know, because you may get one data point from a financial system, because that's where that number comes from. But you may get, you know, something else in terms of like the number of prospects from a completely different system of where that is. And so you ultimately, I mean, is your present ultimate end of the day presentation layer PowerPoint, or are you actually showing in any meetings the actual tools themselves? A little bit of both. So definitely when you're presenting to executives, we find that summarizing it and pulling into PowerPoint can be very helpful to get the focus on what's absolutely important to convey. Mm -hmm. But more and more, what we're trying to do is build the tools in Tableau 
train people on how to interpret what they see on that dashboard, give them, I'm going to call it like tabs, like you would have in Excel to be able to drill down and see additional views, but use the tools so that we can spend the time talking about what, what the, the data is, is saying, as opposed to explaining what they're looking at, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So, so yeah. And, but you're absolutely right about the different data sources and how, like, even if we put all the search and display into the Google stack, which is what we have done at log me in, you have walled gardens like Facebook and other social entities that they're bringing you data from a different source and you have to figure out how do I combine those? So I'm looking at the same time frame. Um, I'm tying it to this, the media spend the, 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 in a consistent fashion. It is not straightforward to do it all. Let's let's pivot to the people aspect of it. Um, we talked about how there's no generally accepted accounting principles, and there's so many different tools out there. As as a leader, what should people look for in people's skill sets? I did a podcast recently with Anna Bender, um, completely unrelated to this topic, but I profiled Anna who's been incredibly successful in her role as a BDR at Adobe. And you can see that from 13 years old, she was a very driven, entrepreneurial person uh, and had sales skills, marketing skills, and developed those over the years. And uh, again, being driven, willing to take no, uh, and the phone being hung up and just moving forward. What do you look for in terms of team members that are going to be helpful and successful in marketing operations or revenue operations functions? What what advice do you have there? So I think there's two things. One, of course, you're always looking for people that have deep expertise in their functional area, whether that's budget management, planning, whether it, it's marketing technology and operations, or whether it's the analytics team themselves. If I'm, if I'm talking to the analytics team, you know, you're looking for people with deep technical chops who are uh, who have some programming skills, are very familiar with manipulating data. But to be successful, and I had this conversation with one of our new hires recently, to be successful, it goes to that fourth C of yours. And I think to be successful at not just doing the work and stitching the data and building a dashboard together, together, but to be able to communicate that effectively, I think you have to have marketing expertise. So you have to be familiar. You have to be sort of a T-shaped marketer, if you will, if you think about it in agile terms. I think that you have to respect that institutional knowledge is really important for you to be able to put context to the data that you're sharing with people. And I think relationships today continue to be super important because this is an area where people think they know what they know and they, but they don't. And so, being able to explain what it is you're looking at, how I should interpret it, how I should think about it, and also having the insight to be able in working with stakeholders to say, am I thinking about this the right way? Here's the insight I would draw from the data, but does that make sense to you based on what you have done to pr- to put this program in place? So to me, three things beyond the technical skills that you expect, especially analysts to have, it's institutional knowledge, marketing expertise, and then I would say that ability to form relationships that will allow you to have effective engagements with your stakeholders and audiences that you want to impress. What do you think in terms of unicorn versus more of these people out there today? Where where are we in terms of the, the talent pool of people who have this skill set as you just laid out? Uh, I think the skill set evolves over time. So here's what I've observed. Uh, new people coming out of school with great technical abilities, you know, start with the raw, they're kind of the unformed 
object. And then over time, as they get familiar and work in a company, then the other skills need to get developed. The best of the best are people that innately are great communicators, good collaborators, build good relationships, figure out how to work inside a company. But I think it is, it's something that you have to develop over time. Mm-hmm. We, uh, Someone just recently, it was it was a, a vendor of ours that we were working with, and one of the guys that we work with there, he has those that like this guy can work Excel like a like a, like Beethoven. I mean, he just can can work masters with that tool set. Communication skills not so good, and if that's really poor, it almost doesn't matter how good your technical skills are and analytic skills if the communication skills are really lacking. Um, I'm wondering if there's any secrets that that are to the interviewing process and and the hiring process for these roles. We we just hired some new members of our consulting team. I'm very excited to have join our team. And you know, one of the things that we we said about this person is you could put her in front of any C level executive of any size company, and that's very important for you know a, a services company like ours that is providing advisory services to companies of of all different sizes, and uh, and. We have them give presentations as part of the recruiting process. They give a presentation to the team because we're looking for that. And we'll throw some really challenging questions and try to really throw them off and see how they respond in that type of environment where, you know, the unexpected um, occurs. So some, I don't know if you have any insights there, but uh, it's hard to find these people. It's certainly for our clients has been very hard to find these, these folks, which is why we've kept introducing new services. What do you think? I think your approach of, of um, testing for comfort level communicating and presenting is really, really smart. I would say our most effective analysts and data scientists are the ones that are good at both the technical side, but also being smart enough to figure out how do I explain it in a way that the layman, the untrained, non-technical person can understand and also that those that ability to to present effectively and the way i've done it with a couple of folks is i've thought about it as in your career you want to help people develop executive presence and executive presence the number one thing that people will say it's how you're perceived it's how you communicate and it's how you look. I think the last one matters nothing anymore especially in a remote yeah. work environment. Yeah. But I but I think the communication aspect of beyond everything else is probably the most important element of executive presence, knowing how to effectively talk to different audiences, you know, persona based, if you will, uh, communications and being able to, to be effective on your feet as well as with a whole, you know, formal yeah. presentation is it's a skill and it's one that you can learn and develop, but it takes focus just as learning a technical s- skill takes focus. You're, you're looking for in some way, somebody once said this, like a meteorologist, right? They, they were making the comparison to like someone on the news. They a tremendous amount of weather information when you think about temperatures and humidity. But when you watch the weather, you're like, it's going to be a bright, shiny day tomorrow or it's not. And where it is, <laughs> it's going up or down. And there's a lot of use of iconography, right? So that you're not just looking at numbers. So you use, use the weatherman or meteorologist, meteorologist as a, as a benchmark for, for good on the communication side and taking a lot. I, of- I love your analogies, the car, the car and the speed and the weather. Great analogies. I, I think in pictures, there's the crazy mind of, of Dave Lewis. I definitely think I, I mostly use food analogies, Mary. Like if you ask my team, like what's his number one analogy, it's food oriented. They, they, I drive them crazy. Then story for another time. Um, I wanted to wrap up with uh, some advice that you might share for people that really struggle with this, which is a lot of folks. Um, uh, 
I had someone say to me recently, CMO, say, Dave, I'm worried about my job. And what was behind that, Mary, was like, if I don't get this done right, if I don't really start explaining to the executive team and the board what marketing's contribution is to the business, my job is at risk. And I don't think that this person's alone in feeling that way. Right. I think there's other people out there. And what you describe and what you're doing is not overnight success. And yet what this person was saying is like, I need to get there really quickly. So are there any advice that you can have, shortcuts or approaches that you've taken um, to, to reach where they need to get to versus where they are right now, which is not a good place? So I would say two things. One is, I think you have to have a roadmap for how you'll get there. And you have to explain that it will take time. And that roadmap has to be comprehensive enough that it starts with, do we agree on the definition? Do we agree on a framework and an approach? Do we understand how we're going to evolve over time? And what are the different piece parts that we need to work on? In our case, for example, as I mentioned, syncing up the data was a big piece of it. And then also adding the technology pieces to support that work were part and parcel of a measurement framework and super important. So part one is you got to give them a roadmap and make sure they're on board with what it actually takes. And then to your point about the shortcuts, yes, in the short term, one of the things that we did is say, okay, the big question in the, in the mind of our executives was we spend a fair amount of money top of funnel and some of it not digital. How do I think about that? So can we take a group of really smart data scientists, load them up with three years worth of data, imperfect, imperfect as it might be, and show them what the conversion was on that data? And so we used, we took a product. We use trials as a proxy for conversion, which I know is not perfect because not all trials convert to a purchase. But we took three years worth of data and mashing together every element we could. The data science team was able to come back and say, we can see that over this three-year period, search consistently delivered a lot of trials. In fact, so much that we took it out of the analysis and then we looked at all the other channels and we added it back in. And then they provided some really smart analysis that would say, you know, in this channel, here's where you reach saturation point. We would recommend you spend this much or at least within this range in a given period of time to be effective. We can see that if you do that, you're going to create these many trials. And so by showing them a piece of analysis that is comprehensive and yet time bound and, and, and focused, we got their heads around, ah, it's possible to do. There is a lot of data out there. There is an approach that can look at this scientifically, but then we backed it up with, and oh, by the way, if we want to do this consistently across all our products, across all our channels, this is the roadmap and you need to go on this journey with us. And I guess the, the, the piece of it that goes without saying is then follow up that roadmap by providing regular updates on where you are against a set of timelines to achieve the end, the end vision. I love it. I love the piece of show them the roadmap because I can think of several clients of ours that when we first engaged with them and the pressure around this was on, we're thinking in our heads, even once the dashboard is created, because we're now collecting the data, it will be months until you actually have meaningful, actionable data. It won't just once you have the dashboard necessarily 
be be what's needed. So presenting that roadmap of here are the steps we are taking and when we will get to that place and what's needed, um, that will reassure the executive team and the powers that be that there's a plan and you're, and you're going to get there. Well, thank you so much, Mary. I think uh, if you guys, I think probably everybody has used LogMeIn's products at some point, go to meeting, go to webinar, go to MyPC and all the different access tools. Very, very successful company. Uh, and free trials have played a, a critical role in your guys' success. Great, great model for doing that. Um, as Mary, as I said in the beginning, is, a, is the VP of Global Marketing Operations and Analytics. Uh, you can find her on LinkedIn, and you should. I got this really nice note, Mary, recently. Someone said to me, Dave, you always suggest that we should connect to these people. And I did, and I talked to Linda, and I talked to, I forget who the other person was that she talked to. Who was it? Anyway, got great advice and great coaching and helpful. So Mary, thank you for taking the time today. And I'm sure you don't mind continuing the conversation for someone who is struggling with this. And you guys can always reach out to DemandGen, of course. I'm not I'm not here with my sales hat on. But if you really struggle with this stuff, give my team a holler. Reach out to me. I'll connect you and we can talk about the situation that you guys are in and get you. Because it is, at the end of the day, this is the most important capability and skill that marketing has to have because everything is for naught if you can't show your contribution to the business where Mary started earlier. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. Don't forget, we also have Demand Gen TV. We launched our YouTube channel several weeks ago, maybe now a month ago for some of you. So just go to demandgen.tv or you can go to YouTube and search for Demand Gen where we show you some of the methods and technologies. And uh, we covered some some visible demos in there. So for those of you that want to look at an analytics platform, we mentioned Tableau. I'll invite those guys to come on and maybe show their tools as well. But we've got some content for you there. All right, that's going to do it. We'll talk to you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. <laughs>